0: welcome, my friends, to another episode of The Mindful Minute. So if you have been following along the last few weeks, we have just completed a really robust meditation series called The Ethics of Meditation. And as we wrap this series up, where we've really been exploring these five tenets Of ethical teachings that are embedded within a meditation practice, I thought it would be really powerful to bring a conversation to you with author Nina Simons. Nina Simons is the co founder and chief relationship officer at Bioneers. Throughout her career spanning the nonprofit, social entrepreneurship, Corporate and philanthropic sectors, Nina has worked with thousands of diverse women across discipline, race, class, age, and orientation to create conditions of mutual learning, trust, and leadership development. Nina authored a book, Nature, Culture, and the Sacred, A Woman Listens for Leadership, which I found to be a profound read. She just recently released the second edition of this book, which includes discussion guides and embodied practices, because this book after winning a gold Nautilus Award in the categories of women, intersectionality, and social justice, was being used in classrooms, in circles, in organizations as ways to foster mindfulness, leadership, and engaged growth. In this conversation, Nina and I talk about so many things. It was such a fun conversation Specifically, we focused on talking about what it means to bring the archetypal feminine into our leadership, not just masculine versus feminine in terms of gender orientation, but this deeper archetypal meaning. What does that look like? What does it mean? We talk about the intertwining of our sacred practices and our social activism We talk about generational trauma and the overlapping crises of our time, indigenous issues, racial equality, gender balance, and the environment. We talk about a documentary that changed Nina's life in the course of her work called The Burning Times. You'll find a link to that documentary in the show notes. So without further ado, let's jump into this conversation. I think you'll find it uplifting, hopeful, and I hope really, really inspiring to do a little bit of research, maybe pick up Nina's book, and let's see where we grow together. All right, Nina Simons, welcome to the Mindful Minute. Thank you for taking some time
1: today. I'm delighted to be with you, Meryl. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. So we are here
0: today to talk about the second edition of your book, uh, nature, culture, and the sacred, a woman listens for leadership. And I'll tell you, you know, I get a lot of emails that are like, oh, I wrote a book or I have published a book. Would you like to do an interview? And sometimes they fit, sometimes they don't. And all I saw was nature, culture, the sacred. And I was like, yes,
1: <laughs> yes send me that
0: book. Let's talk. <laughs> so I'm so happy that mm. we're getting to connect today.
1: Me too. Well, that's a great story.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I thought maybe we would start a bit with where you start in the book was a little bit of who you are and how you not only found yourself as a leader, but really embraced that role of
1: leadership. Sure. Well, uh, hmm i uh, i don't know where to start (laughs) (laughs) it's a big question i've told this story before but just a sec (laughs) you know early in my life my first love was theater because i knew we had to change people's consciousness and i fell in love with how theater could give people an embodied experience that would cause them to question their belief systems and their values Mm. But that's not what most of theater is. That's what a little bit of theater is. So I fell in love with that and then realized how hard it was going to be to make a living at that and went on to manage restaurants and work in the arts. And then I encountered my wonderful partner and um, got involved with the film he was finishing, which was about alternative cancer therapies. And I realized that, uh, you know, one of the core impulses in me is to be a healer, you know, and to be a healer, not in a one-on-one hands-on way, but I think my favorite job description I've ever been given was culture doctor. Ooh, I love that. At my chart, I know. And she said, oh, you're a culture doctor. And I was like, yes. Um, So... So we finished the film, and then I went with him to a uh, an amazing biodiversity garden in southern New Mexico. And as we walked through that garden, the master gardener who was cultivating it introduced us to each plant. And he would introduce us by the Latin name and the common name, and then explain how it was related to everything else around it. And it was a it was a garden of relationship. And I just what I realized was that I had never seen a garden so beautiful. My senses were just dancing between the flowers and the fruits and the smells and the pollinators and the colors. It was just glorious. And then he explained why he was growing this garden, which was to protect the biodiversity of life itself because all of these little mom and pop seed companies were getting gobbled up by multinational corporations. And it was threatening, we were losing biodiversity at an alarming rate. And this was way back in the late 80s. And what wound up happening was that he and my husband and partner um, wound up starting a company called Seeds of Change. And I went to work, when I walked out of that garden, I felt like the spirit of the natural world tapped me on the shoulder and said, you're working for me now. And I had no idea how to respond to that call. I didn't think I had any skills for it. I had no idea. But the call was undeniable. And so I went to work for this startup uh, social entrepreneurial company, and I learned a ton, and I loved it, and it felt like some of the most sacred work I've ever done. And my husband is a journalist as well as a filmmaker. And he was researching and finding all these amazing people who had solutions to many of our most pressing social and environmental challenges. And he was finding out about them, but to his chagrin, he realized no one had ever heard of them. And when he was bemoaning that fact to a friend in a hot tub, the friend said, Why don't you have a conference? And Kenny said, "Well, I've never been to a conference. It sounds boring. Why would I do that?" <laughs> and and the friend said, "Here's a grant. Go have a conference." And Kenny came to me because of my theater background and said, "Will you help me invent a conference?" And so we did, and that was the beginning of our organization, which is called Bioneers. And together we have shepherded and co-evolved Bioneers over the years and since then part of what happened for me was really three or four quick awakenings i had an awakening about how my gender was influencing my life and i had thought after college that i was stepping out into the world with a level playing field and it took me some time to recognize how not true that was you know and so Um, I saw a film which all listeners can access online called The Burning Times and it tells the amazing story of mm, 300 years of European history that had correlatives all over the world where somewhere between 50,000 and millions of women were systematically persecuted and tortured and burned for the supposed crime of being witches and when i saw that i i was flabbergasted i knew that that story was still alive in me it was the first time that a whole bunch of fears that i had made sense to me and i wondered why wasn't i taught this in school this is a huge event in human history and then i wondered how much of it is true and i went to work researching and what i found was that many of our human systems of civilization were flipped from the purview of the feminine and women to the purview and the power of men during that time our medical system our land system our economic system a lot of things and uh so that that sent me on a journey and then I got recognized for my leadership with Bioneers and I didn't like it at all I thought this is not a title that I feel like I've earned, number one. Number two, I felt like it painted a target on my back, which I really didn't like. And number three, I just had this icky feeling in my body like something about this name feels false to who I am. And it's not who I aspire to be. And, I, and then I started investigating and I started convening groups of women who are leaders. And lo and behold, all these women who had been selected for their leadership came into this retreat and said, no, I don't consider myself a leader. I wouldn't call myself a leader. And so I began unpacking it and realized we're all reinventing leadership now. And and as I worked with those women who were very diverse by design, they were diverse in every way, not just racially or ethnically, but in age, in discipline, in all kinds of ways, right? And uh, I realized, I I began to feel called to learn a lot more about racial equity and justice. And so, let's see. I I mean, I'm a woman who has a deep call toward uh, the leadership of women and rebalancing the feminine and masculine in us all. And in our culture and in our institutions, as well as you know, racial equity, which gender equity and racial equity sit side by side, I think. So it's a long answer. Sorry.
0: No, it's a great answer. And there, okay, so we have to have a couple different podcasts because I want to talk about theater. <laughs> I'm, I'm so into theater as like spiritual response. Yes. So like we have to have a conversation about that one day. <laughs> there was something else you said that I was like, well, that's a po- oh um uh like a, you said, like a garden or a relational garden of relationships of I'm like, well, let's have a conversation about that. Yes. We'll stay focused on the book for (laughs) today. So you really, it's interesting to me because one of the threads that I found so fascinating was how you pull together what I think we could look at or feel when we are looking from the outside, perhaps that these are such disparate issues, but you bring together You know, indigenous issues, environmental issues, racial equity, gender balance. You know, it's so many issues that I think it would be really easy to say, that's too much. I'm overwhelmed or scared, and I can't pay attention to that many things. And yet, in this book, it is woven together to be a thing, right? Like these are elements or maybe symptoms, if you even wanna call it that, of, uh, of an issue. Does that
1: land for you? Oh, it totally does. And I think that how I came to be that way, Merrill, is because of Bioneers. Really, I have had the benefit of over 30 years of graduate school with Bioneers. And, and really what Bioneers says is that nature is the mother of all issues that we can't separate what's human from what's nature because we are nature, right? Nature made us And, and actually nature is our elder. And so for me, all of those issues are interwoven. And what I'm delighting in now that I'm 66 years old is that for the first time in my life, having all those disparate interests feels like an asset and a virtue instead of a hindrance i've i've been apologizing for it way too long Mm. you know (laughs) and i'm so glad the book i mean the book really gave me an opportunity to not only weave together the issues but also to really offer people a path to explore what has been most useful for me in my own learning and to give people discussion guides and prompts and questions um, that really wove together everything I've learned in the last, you know, 25 years. So feels good.
0: Yeah. And if you were going to give this feels like maybe too limiting. So you tell me, but if you if we were going to give this an overarching entryway to step into what you're writing about, would you say archetypal feminine, like balancing archetypal feminine energy? Is this what you might say? Should we start there?
1: Well, absolutely. I mean, that would be one part of it. And I think integrating the invisible world or the sacred, right, is an essential aspect of it. It's why it's why I chose that title, because I found that there were, you know, at this stage in my life, there's a lot of introspection and really wondering and questioning, like, Have I given everything I'm here to give? What do I, what's more, what's most essential to me? And what I realized was really I serve nature, culture, and the sacred and rebalancing the masculine and the feminine is the clearest single pathway I can see for healing the whole.
0: Mm. So let's talk a little bit about what you mean by archetypal feminine versus I identify as a woman in my physical body, right? right There's a big right. difference. Let's talk about what that is.
1: Sure. Thanks. Um, well, we all have masculine and feminine within us. The ancients, you know, who came up with the yin and yang symbol were pointing toward that. And in this day and age, we've inherited all kinds of twisted definitions of what mas- quote, masculine and feminine mean but in fact on the deepest archetypal level as you say there is an active principle and a receptive principle and we have elevated the active and devalued the receptive which is why a woman listens for leadership because in my meditation practice i've i've really reinforced and learned the value of deep listening and and of rest and of you know not of of working to release myself from the patterns of overproductivity right because because i think we have inherited a culture that is so overly archetypally masculinized you know and if you think about if you think about a lot of the movies that hollywood produces right they, they tend to be geared for adolescent boys or men of all ages, or they're called chick flicks. Mm-hmm. And the chick flicks are the ones that are about relationship. Well, excuse me. I believe relationship is the very fabric of life. So, so let's not demean it by calling it a chick flick and imagine that it's not for everybody. So, you know, I think. I think men need to reclaim the parts of themselves that are receptive, that are sensitive, that are emotional, that are embodied. And, and we all need to rebalance, you know, my aim as I explored what leadership is being reinvented as what I realized was I want to have a full array of human capacities to draw from within myself. And I called that full spectrum leadership because if there's a if there's a continuum of masculine and feminine, I want to be able to pull from anywhere on that continuum, given what's needed and what the circumstances require of me. So I think regardless of what gendered body you may be in right now, we all need to rebalance the masculine and the feminine, and I think that's what a lot of young people who are you know, who are ch- refusing the binary, are are really pointing towards, and they're so spot on.
0: I would love to hear a little bit about your meditation practice and the overlap you see. This is another element that I really felt was highlighted in the book was it, that the the sacred, the introspective, the receptive, to use the word you just used, and activism are not disparate elements right? I I saw those very woven together in your writing. I feel that become more and more highlighted the further I go in my own meditative journey. Mm. And I try to pull it out in our conversations quite a bit. I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey in meditation.
1: Mm. Oh, that's such a great question. Well, I think that we're, we're in a moment where sacred activism is exactly what's called for. Right. And the fact that we have split them apart, that false separation has been hindering our effectiveness for a long time. Well, I got inspired to meditate really from a dear friend and colleague named Deborah Eden Tull. A who former teaches. guest on She's the podcast. Beautiful- <laughs> exactly. So check out her podcast. <laughs> She's written several beautiful books, but um, she coined the phrase relational mindfulness. And when I heard her say, meditation is the subtlest form of self-love, a huge light bulb went off over my head. And I thought, oh, I want that. I want to experience that. And so, you know, I have had the gift of her teaching, which of course is beautiful. And what I find is that we humans are in a situation now that is actually existentially pretty dire, you know, it's a it's a time of so much loss and hardship. It's a time where we have systems running out of control. And, you know, (laughs) the dying dinosaur of patriarchy is doing a lot of damage on its way out. And so I believe that activism that isn't informed by that quiet, still place within us and all of our guides and support in the invisible world and the natural world, you know, we all have different versions of how we relate to the sacred. But what I find is in my sitting practice, I get insight from all around me. And sometimes it's through something my body understands sometimes it's from imagining and and convening with my guides sometimes it's from asking a question and sitting and listening um, for an answer however long it may take and if our activism and our leadership i mean i think we're all called to be leaders and i think we have as many forms of leadership as there are humans alive on the planet at this time. And, um, you know, I think that the old definition was very self-limiting. And parenting is one of the most powerful, beautiful forms of leadership I can imagine, as is teaching and healing and, you know, so many things and arts. Um, so, So, I just think, you know... There's a piece in the book that I love that's a conversation with Terry Tempest Williams. Mm -hmm. And one of the things she says to me in it is that she loves, whenever she encounters an apparent binary or contradiction, she finds ways for it to dance with each other. And I was like, oh yeah, this binary thing, it's not only about the masculine and the feminine, it's also about the sacred and activism. How can they actually meet in a place that, you know, right now we have a terrible syndrome of activists sort of shooting across the circle, getting in their own way so much, rebelling against authority to the extent that they're not functional. And our movements are actually self-sabotaging. And for me one of my favorite visions is that our movements find the ways to find common cause and that's going to happen through listening to each other deep listening and being willing to slow down enough to build relationship you know and part of that rebalancing of the yin and yang is slowing down enough to tend to the relationships so that's a long way of responding. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It, that, was, that was such a good response. And you said so much in there that I don't want to lose any of the threads. Um, the thing that's really jumping out at me is I often think about meditative practice as a practice of learning to get comfortable with paradox, because it feels like so much of so much of what feels like clear black and white suddenly becomes very gray once we come inside and we actually start to listen. So I' really heard that statement. And the other thing is, you know these words around deep listening, around relational, receptive they're they're words that it can be really easy to use them when we're like, "Oh, I'm talking about this lovely thing." called meditation. I do it by myself, or maybe with one other person. It's in a beautiful space, there's incense and bells. (laughs) But then I leave, and I turn on the news, or I sit in my car in bumper to bumper traffic. And I'm not thinking about deep listening or relational engagement or receptivity. And the idea in our practice and in your book is, can we bring these elements into what we perceive as you call it leadership. I would think about just like our work life, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm Mm -hmm. I'm no longer a mom, I'm
1: working. So I have to be different, right? (laughs) right? Right. Well, and it's so interesting you say that because I realized early on that one of my aims in my life that felt like a, a sole purpose was I wanted to be as congruent as I knew how that I wanted to be the same in every situation. Mm. I wanted to be reliably all me, right? And not have to move masks. And and the other thing I love about what you were saying about paradox is I believe I'm I'm having this sort of romance with hardship right now. <laughs> it's kind love of weird. Love that
0: phrase. <laughs>
1: <Ooh>. <laughs> but... <laughs> But, you know, I think one of the things, one of my mentors is Joanna Macy. And she said something beautiful in her blurb for the book, which was something to the effect that Nina not only understands the gifts that women bring to leadership, but the ways that obstacles and hardship strengthen us and make us more resilient. Mm. And and so I'm just noticing, you know, I, I do a lot of work with women who have trauma and i'm noticing that you know in many ways my life has brought me to believe that those of us who whether in this life or past lives have intergenerational trauma have developed a kind of resilience that's really needed right now and so you know we tend to turn away from trauma we tend to turn away from conflict and they're important and useful tools
0: they really are and i i'm very very interested in our awareness and the ways that we pay attention to intergenerational trauma specifically i've i've had as you were talking about the burning times i was thinking oh that's so interesting i have absolutely had a moment in my life where i was like that is generational trauma and it's not, it's not a little bit buried in my body. It is vibrantly alive and radiating outward in the way that I respond to situations in my life. That's fascinating. And the more this comes to awareness, it stops being this, uh, I don't love this word. So I'm going to put it in quotes, this crazy response that I have to certain things and it gives me this sense of like, oh, I totally know why I feel this way. Let me pay attention to what's really happening in the moment, what's true, and what can I carry forward from, you know, generations of information buried in my cells. I love that you brought this up. So interesting to
1: me. You know, the thing that I that comes up for me listening to you, Meryl, is um that the intergenerational trauma from the Burning Times, I believe, is in every human being alive today. So it helps me have compassion for the men who also have carried that, they carry that ancestral memory, right? In order to be safe, you had to be very masculine in that time. And, you know, and you had to tough it out and you had to, right? So, and, and seven generations of children, Witnessed this, right? So, so I believe it's a, you know, it's a cultural legacy that we all carry. And that helps me understand why the biases run so deep. Mm.
0: You know, one of the things I want to say two things. So, first I'm gonna say this because you were talking earlier about one of your sole purposes being to be congruent. And I wanna say yesterday I have a four-year-old daughter, and yesterday I got the dreaded call from school, you need to come get your daughter, she's not well. And I brought her home. She was, and it's a whole long story we don't have to get into, but I had a moment yesterday where I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to cancel this interview. And I hate having to do that. (laughs) And I felt myself be like, oh my God, what can I do? Who can I call to help me so I don't have to cancel the interview? And then I thought, I feel like if anybody in the world would understand me saying (laughs) my daughter is sick, I can't do this interview, it would be me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and luckily she's fine and i didn't know oh, to cancel good. the interview and it all worked out oh, but good. i had a moment where i was like right you are <laughs> i felt yeah. that through your book i felt that
1: mm, that thank i thank you
0: that i would be able to do that and just say like also i'm a mom right uh, that's because we are of course yeah right yeah so the other thing i wanted to say is as we were talking about before we started recording This interview is airing right at the end of a series that feels really important to me, which is about the ethical teachings that are sort of imbued in traditional meditation. Mm -hmm. And as I set the series up, I was explaining that these teachings, which in different words, but same concepts show up in tantric meditation in Buddhism and all of the sort of ancient lineages and traditionally are always taught first before you do any seated practice, before you do any movement, you are gonna learn these ethical teachings. And yet here in the West, I didn't learn the ethical teachings until I was in not my first, but my second level of teacher training. And it's interesting because I felt very much like, well, the ethical teachings are implicit, right? It's it's just, it's there, you'll find it on your own if you're meditating. And what I'm realizing is maybe, but we need to be naming them and bringing them to the forefront. And as I was reading your book, I was feeling that same energy of you're naming nature, culture, the sacred. We know, we know we could sort of sense the implicit value, but we need to be naming it and pulling it forward into the forefront I wonder how you see maybe any overlap there.
1: Oh, I love that. You know, what I find is that (laughs) I think we all need to name what has the deepest value now. And what I keep finding from my work with Indigenous mentors is that I learn from them how to be a human being. And that's not something that anyone in our culture teaches us and it sounds to me like that's what you're pointing to you Mm. know i mean my lineage is jewish and i love i don't have a religious practice or affiliation with it but but culturally i feel deeply deeply aligned with it and you know the the core premise of tikkun olam is that you leave the world a better place for having lived in it and i love that i mean that feels like the most ethical principle of course wouldn't we all want to do that but but I, so i think i think you're absolutely right and i want to take your course because <laughs> oh, well, i haven't learned to. them <laughs>
0: that's so funny i'm jewish also i love that uh-huh. little connection how beautiful
1: uh-huh.
0: um yeah and I I think that's so interesting. I love the reminder that we're learning how to be human beings. Yeah. And you're right. You're yeah. absolutely right. You know, I mean, I think the sort of cliché phrases were human doings. It's cliché for a reason. That feels resonant.
1: Yeah, right? of course. To make
0: the shift, to make the shift yeah. to being is what you're
1: pointing to. Well, and one of my earliest uh, luminous moments with pioneers was hearing a native elder um, from a Pueblo near to Santa Fe who um, whose people went through some of the most egregious um, violence in in colonization and we were having a panel about the 500 year anniversary of Columbus setting foot on these shores and he said and he was a governor of that Pueblo and he said He said, 500 years ago, you came and we welcomed you with open arms. If you came again today, we would do the same. And he was absolutely centered, clear, and full of integrity. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I have so much to learn from these people. Wow. You know, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, How to be human beings. You, in the second edition of the book, you added
0: discussion guides, some prompts for reflection, which I love because I think it's giving us the opportunity to read. I like that the book is comprised a bit of your story. It brings in other stories, other voices as well. It brings in teachings. but it with the with the reflection guides, it's giving us the opportunity to see how does that relate to what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, how I'm moving through the world you're inviting us to embody some of these teachings yes
1: yes and to listen and to listen for our own inner guidance because I can't know what's right for anyone else but these are prompts that we developed over years of having women's retreats and I thought you know why not why not offer as many tools as I know how And there are embodied practices as well, so that, you know, people can do them either on their own or in circles with other women.
0: And you said this a bit earlier in the conversation, but let's highlight it. You're not just talking about women who want to be CEOs of their own company. (sighs) Who are you talking to? (laughs)
1: Well, you know, one of my favorite reviews came from a man who said, I love this book. It's helping me understand my daughters and my wife better. Mm-hmm. And, and so this book is for anyone, you know. Um, really, it's a compilation of my deepest, I don't know, reflections over 25 years. And it's certainly for any woman or girl who is reaching for understanding herself better, her own sense of purpose and what calls her. And for exploring, you know, this beautiful multidimensional world that I've been privileged to be immersed in. Mm. Yeah,
0: I feel it's it's not a meditation book. It is a book about, you know, the ways that we walk through the world, mm. with our inner light on, right? Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. feel that so much. It's like the um, it's the moving version of meditation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, hopefully it's also pointing towards that sacred activism you were speaking to. That's right. Because really part of what I've found, Merrill, is, you know, in doing the work with women, I've experienced being in what Martin Luther King called beloved community. And being in beloved community with women who are vastly different than I am is one of the most oh, delicious, amazing, heartful soul-nourishing experiences I can imagine, and I want it for everyone, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Is there anything I
0: didn't ask you that you wanted to highlight or talk about today?
1: Ah, Yes, meditation as the subtlest form of self-love.
0: Yes. Uh, (laughs) I was like, don't forget that sentence, write it down. (laughs)
1: Let's talk about that. Yes. Yeah. You know, I I think that I always um, resisted meditation before I met Eden because I thought it was all about being rigorous and accountable and rules and, right, and like sharp definition. And I have a tendency to rebel against a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And once I met Eden and understood that my meditation practice could be about accepting everything that happens and all of me and just in the course of doing that you know not making myself wrong for having other thoughts just letting them drift by and and in the course of doing that what i found is that there's a there's a benefit that i can experience in my body Meryl, I'm sure you maybe you have something similar. It feels to me like there's a sacred still pool in my inner being that gets fed by my sitting practice every morning. And when I do that, no matter how kerfuffled I get out there in the world with, you know, accidents and road rage and politics and, you know, Uh, the crises all around us Mm. that still pool is always there and and i can feel it and i can it only takes a minute a second for me to check touch in with it and that feels like it gives me so much ballast and this beautiful kind of i don't know balance that uh and um a wellspring Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. I don't want to live without,
0: you know? I love how you worded that. And it's so funny. Right before I jumped on with you, I was working with a private client of mine uh, who has a lovely meditation practice. And he said to me, after telling me 20 minutes of how beautiful and interesting and expansive and amazing this last week of practice has been, he says, but how do I get there? Like, how do I get to like this? He's like, I don't think I'm there. And we had this whole conversation (laughs) around like, well, you can't, you just can't make yourself, you can't will yourself there. You, you are there. And the minute you let yourself be there, you will be right. You just have to. Oh. Right here in the middle of everything that's going on. We had this whole, you know, you talk in a circle. We had a whole <laughs> circle of like, you can't make it happen. You just have to be where you are. <laughs> I love that you said it so beautifully. I wish you'd been in my call earlier. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, this is such a treat, Meryl. Thank you.
0: Nina is my pleasure. Thank you so much. Tell listeners where they can find
1: more about you, your work, the book. Where should we look? Sure. Well, I am childless by choice, but my child really is a magnificent organization called Bioneers. So please go visit Bioneers.org and sign up for the newsletter or listen to a podcast. You won't be sorry. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and Nina Simons.com has uh, my books and anywhere that I'm teaching or speaking. And, um, And if you do read the book, please give me the gift of writing a review on Amazon, Mm. because whether you buy it there or not, (laughs) because it really matters and I need them. So thank you. And thank you so much, Meryl. What a treat.
0: Thank you, Nina. Listeners, all of these links will be in the show notes. I will highlight again, reviews are the most important thing in the world to anybody out there creating something. So please take the time to do that. And Nina, I hope this is the first of many conversations.
1: This was so lovely. I hope so, too. And do link to the Burning Times, because everyone needs to see it. Thank you. I will do that. (laughs) Thanks so much. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to The Mindful Minute. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or leaving me a review wherever you get your podcasts. This helps others to find the show, and let's face it, we could definitely use more meditators in this world. The Mindful Minute is recorded on Muscogee land and produced with the support of Madeline Day Production Management and Brianna Nielsen Virtual Assistance. To join my live classes, ask questions, or learn more about my teacher trainings, please visit merylarnett.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you guys next week.